Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Jewish Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Matthew Miller, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Ruven Moll about his new book, Faith Fulfilled, Migilat Esther and the Ma'ariv Evening Service for Purim, with commentary from the writings of Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, published by Katab in 2022. Faith Fulfilled presents selections of the writings of Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, one of the major Jewish philosophers of the 20th century, as a new and meaningful commentary for the Migilat and Ma'ariv Service. Ruven, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so my name is uh, Ruvain Moll. Um, I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, went to uh, Yeshiva Manhattan Beach for elementary school and Yeshiva Flatbush for high school. Um, after high school, I went to uh, for a year of study in Israel to Yeshiva Hakotel, and then um, got an undergraduate degree at um, at Yeshiva University. Um, after 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 that, I went on to um, dental school. Um, at NYU New York University Dental School, um, and through through that and afterwards, I um, I did I did study. Um, even though the, when I was at Yeshiva University, I I did study for a little bit. That's in the Smicha program, um, and I continued in my studies. And I, I did receive uh, um, Smicha afterwards from Rav Zalman Goldberg in in Jerusalem. Um, that's a little bit about myself. I do live in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. Um, with, uh, with my wife, Jenny, and we have, uh, three, three children, um, at this point. So I, thank God everything is, is good. Beautiful. That's great. And going to the book itself, how did you come to write this book? And this is not the first time you've written about and, and looked at the teachings of Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz. How did you come to write about this individual, think about his teachings, appreciate his teachings, and then more specifically this book? Sure, sure. Um, so first, I'll just t- tell a little bit uh, a little bit about who Eliezer Berkowitz was. Um, Eliezer Berkowitz was one, as you said, one of the uh, major Jewish philosophers of the 20th century. Um, he was born in 1908, and he uh, passed away in 1992. Um, I first I first came or introduced to him. Actually, my father is a retired uh, professor of philosophy. So a uh, lot of lot of talk of philosophy in the house growing up. Um, I, I came to um, and I was introduced to him uh, with the first book that I was introduced to him was uh, the book Faith After the Holocaust. Um, but I'll just tell a little bit about his life first. So, so basically, he was born in 1908. He, he went through the Holocaust. Um, he was a rabbi in Berlin from 1934 to 1939. Um, and he has a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Berlin on uh, the dissertation was on um, 
was on Hume and miracles. So he's just just a just a great figure for for somebody in the modern Orthodox world that uh, has this vast knowledge of of secular studies and also uh, Torah studies. Um, one who's you know one who wants to look into Torah Amada and know that the intersection of all of these works in his writings, where he talks about all the philosophy and everything, is in there between the philosophy, the Torah, and everything is in his writings. Um, after after he he was a rabbi in Berlin from 1934 to 1939, he escaped, went to England, um, was a rabbi in England for a few years, then a rabbi in Australia for a few years, and then he finally came to Boston um, from 1950 to 1958, um, and then in 1958 um, and then in 1976, he made Aliyah, and he re- and he uh, he remained the remainder of his life's teaching teaching in Israel. Um, after that, um, he wrote um, amazingly 19 books during his lifetime. Um, I can go through some of the books, but uh, and many many articles in in Tradition Journal, which is the journal of the RCA. He also wrote journals uh, wrote articles in uh, Judaism, which was uh, known at that time through the conservative movement, but many Orthodox. Uh, rabbis uh, did write, you know, for that for that uh, prominent journal at the time. Um, many of his books, like so, the first book that I was introduced to was uh, was Faith, Faith After the Holocaust, uh, which dealt with was really one of the first rabbis that that dealt with with um, theodicy and evil after the Holocaust and how to come to grips with belief and faith in God afterwards. And he talks about evil and faith and, and afterwards also how the state of Israel came into being. Um, so over the last 10 years, I've really engrossed myself after, after that, that was a long time ago when I, when I, when I started looking at the faith after the Holocaust, but then I came back to his writings, I would say about 10 years ago. Um, and I started really analyzing his writings and, and getting into the idea of divine self-limitation of that's one of his main ideas throughout his writings that I feel that all of his writings somehow in the backdrop, he has this idea of divine self-limitation. Um, and this, this book on, on Megillah Esther, I mean, basically um, it's a book, it's a, it's a Megillah that um, does not have God's name in it. Um, God's name is, is missing. Um, so I just feel that the Megillah Esther book in general is, is a great, analysis and the highlights really uh, Rabbi Berkowitz's um, real philosophy on on um, his idea of divine self-limitation. Um, the first book that I wrote, so first I wrote an article a few years ago before uh, on, on Simpsom and the writings of Eliezer Berkowitz, um, which means Simpsom is another word for divine self-limitation. It's a, it's a word that was basically, I don't know, created or uh, by Rabbi Isaac Luria, who is a Kabbalist, um, and and Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz somehow borrows this term, um, and in the core of his writings, he doesn't necessarily use the word symptom, but he uses the terms self divine self abnegation, divine self control, um, hiding God, Hester Panim. Um, and, um, I just feel that this book, Megillah Esther really could portray some of those, some of those, uh, you know, the philosophy and the writings of, uh, Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, 
um, for that. The first book that I did write um, was on faith, faith, faith and freedom, which is um, which is a Haggadah on, on the Passover Haggadah. I'll just explain a little bit, you know, what I did. Basically, you you, you asked about the Megillah Esther, but they're, they're basically they're basically in the same format. Um, basically, what I've done was um, I said that that Eliezer Berkowitz wrote 19 books. Um, he did not write a commentary on the Haggadah, and he did not write a commentary on Megillah Esther. So what I've done is I've gone through almost all the books, I, almost 19 of them, um, and it was a it was a hard process. Um, and I've taken excerpts um, from the books, and I created a commentary to to um, to the to the Megillah Esther, and also to the Haggadah for for Pesach. Um, and both of those, both of those books are um, out and published through um, through Urim. And thinking about the book and the way that it's structured, so as we were saying before, it includes, of course, the actual Megillah, so the text of the Book of Esther, but it also includes the Imari of service in which the Megillah is read in the nighttime. And so was that your decision? Did you think it was important to include this and it to be a real liturgical text? Or is that something that the publishers thought would be a good idea? So, so I, I did think that it was a, that, it, that it was my idea to, to bring it in. Um, if you can act, you can bring this book with you to the nighttime service um, and use it as a, as a Sidur and also for Megillah Esther. So you don't have to take two books at the same time. Um, one, you know, to, to use for, 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 uh, for davening and then also then get, you know, Megillah, you know, from the bookshelf also. So this way you can have, have both. Um, the Megillah Esther um, is at, is after, is after the, um, is after the prayer service. So the prayer service, you know, talking about how, how the excerpts were, um, were introduced and how it made a commentary for it. The prayer service was, um, was actually a little bit easier uh, to make the commentary because Rabbi Berkowitz did write a book called Prayer that was um, that was uh, published in 1962 by um, Yeshiva University Press, um, and it's a it's a, a pamphlet, um, really a pamphlet, it's about 100 pages. Um, and so so there was there was really a flow to the commentary for for uh, for Marav service because if I wanted to you know talk about a certain word, um, you know he he he. He did. He did talk about that. So, so I was able to take the excerpt and attach it and hook it to the words of of the text for the for the for the for the davening part of it for the Mariv part. For but for the um, for the Megillah Esther part, um, it was definitely a harder task because there aren't that many times through the course of his writings that he mentions Megillah Esther at all, um, and a lot of a lot of the excerpts are really thematic connections. Um, you know, on certain words or certain hooks that I would, that I would say, okay, this would, this is a great excerpt. You know, I read the books many times. Um, what I did was I put stickies in the books and I'm like, oh, that would be a great commentary for this word, or that would be a great commentary for, for, uh, this Pusuk. Um, so, so the Megillah Esther was a little bit of a harder task and a rewarding task, um, to come up with a commentary, uh, for, for the, for the whole book. Was there any cases where it was the opposite challenge? So it seems like in some cases or many cases, it was hard to figure out what would be the best form of commentary to include for a given verse. Were there any cases where 
the verse just had so many things that, that you thought that you can bring from, from Rabbi Berkowitz, or were there not really many of those cases where you had to choose between so many different forms of commentary? So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, it, there could be repetition. So, so, you know, if you, if we read, if we read Rabbi Berkowitz's writings, he'll talk about faith all the time. Um, some of the some of just the titles of his books, Faith After the Holocaust, With God in Hell, which is a book that he wrote um, after Faith After the Holocaust to show how how um, during during the war um, they they had faith even throughout the Holocaust. That's why it's called With With God With God in Hell. Um, so so faith comes up all the time. Um, that word. So so yes, I I could have attached probably many excerpts on you know, from that word faith and munah, even, even in, um, in the davening part of it, where we have the emunah kol zot, um, you know, I picked one, I picked one, the emunah kol zot, where, where, uh, right after Shema, um, and faithful is, you know, is all of this, um, you know, I used one, one excerpt from faith after the Holocaust, but there are probably, you know, I would say a hundred excerpts on emunah that I could have used throughout and tried to attach it to different places where, where there's the word emunah, you know, something like that. Um, one, like I'll, one, one, I'll give one example of, of a case where I was just like really happy to find a, an excerpt, you know, or, or a commentary in the Megillah where it talks about, where it talks about Haman and it talks about bowing down mishtach adim. And bowing down to evil, um, I'll find I'll find the source. One second, um, I'll come back to it. But um, basically, there's there's a place where um, and Haman saw that Mordechai did not bow down and did not prostrate himself before him. Then Haman was full of was full of wrath. Vayar Haman he ain Mordechai koreo there's another place also that has to do with bowing. Um, right before it, right? So it has to do with bowing. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed down and prostrated themselves before Haman. And what there, I wanted to show that there was, that this is a case of evil, that they, that uh, they, they bowed down to him. There was a there was a case where he talks about where he was in the library actually in Berlin during the time of the Holocaust during the time and he talks about this Nazi guard going through going through the library and how scared he was and at the end he says year after year it was the same story that repeated itself before our eyes knees bowing to the success and worshiping it so I just it's a figurative way of explaining. Um, that bowing down to Haman, that here it's the knees bowing down to success and worshiping it. So sometimes, you know, there was a play on the words that I was like, wow, this is, you know, a, a cool interpretation and a cool explanation that could be put as a commentary to, uh, to the text. Um, but it took, it took a lot of time to figure out which, which uh, texts did go to each, uh, to each, uh, to each word and each hook. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was fun, and at the same time, I really got to uh, delve into his writings and and got and really got to know his his, his writings a lot more because of that. We were just saying that faith is something that he speaks about a lot. It comes up in his titles, it comes up in his work, and as you said as well, two of your works on Rabbi Berkowitz 
have faith in their in their title. Maybe we can focus now on the title of this book, Faith Fulfilled. Why that title? Was that the first title you chose? Was that coming? Did it, that only come after a lot of deliberation? Why did you choose this title, and what does it mean? So, um, it, it, the first title, like you said, is, is Faith and Freedom, and this title, this title is Faith Fulfilled. Um, I did want to use, I think, the word faith in, in the in the in the title because that's really, I think, one of his main main ideas throughout um, throughout all of uh, his his writings. Um, his definition of faith is very interesting. He basically says that um, in in the first in the first book, I have an excerpt in Faith and Freedom, where um, where um, they believed in Az Yashir, where it says Ve'aminu b'Hashem Moshe Avdo, where they um, where they believed they believed in God and in Moshe, their servant. And in a few places, in a few places, this is I used from this place from with uh, from the book with God in Hell. He basically says that the word vayaminu, which means to trust or or believe, is really that is really a trust, a trust in God that God is going to to act and He's going to be there for us. Um, also, he talks about this in um, in his book Man and God: Studies in Biblical Theology, which is a a massive book. Where he talks about different uh, different um, concepts, he talks about knowledge of God, the spirit of God, the name of God, the concept of holiness, the biblical meaning of justice. These are just the chapters of the book, um, and he talks about there a whole chapter on on, on the faith of God, um, and he says that that basically that emuna is is to be trustworthy, to be ne'eman. It comes from the adjective ne'eman, to be trustworthy. So I think that um, even though that God's name is not found in the in the Megillah, um, I think that there there is still an emunah in God, um, an emunah that Mordechai and Esther had. Um, I can delve now into a little bit of the divine self-limitation, because I think that that will play into this, this answer. Um, in the intro to the book, um, I write that um, there's this pasuk in the in the Megillah, um, chapter four fourteen, um, and who knows whether you have come to the royal estate for such a time as this. And what I do is I include an excerpt that, from God, Man, and History to to elucidate to to uh, to explain this this pasuk um, that basically says that that Mordechai is telling Esther. That you you you're basically at this time and at this moment for for a particular reason, and he believes that's the munah in God, even though God's name is not used. It's it's he's saying there's an opportune time here, and what I do is I I, I bring a I bring a, a a quote from God Man in History, page one fifty six, to say that the rabbis of the Talmud were right to view man as a partner of God in the works of creation, and that's from uh, the Gemara and Shabbat. Who would say where the work of God comes to an end and the human contribution begins? Man may be as nothing before God, yet God nonetheless desires man's partnership. And I think that that we can spend a you know a whole hour, two hours on uh, on on the on the concept of divine self-limitation. Um, I did write an essay that's included in this in this book on divine self-limitation on Simpsum. But I think the other part of it is is that we're we're partners with God. Um, and I think that that's that's one of the reasons that I put here is is, is that I that I try to analyze um, is that is that 
is that God's God's name is not found in the Megillahs because I think he wants us to come to 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 show our presence, to to act and to and to create in the world and to be part of the world um, and to be part of what's going on. And Esther and Mordechai, I think, did that. And they were the role, the main players in this. So Faith Fulfilled, I think, I think is a I think an apropos title to show that we that Mordechai and Esther, plus plus all the Yehudim at the time, did have faith in God. It was a faith fulfilled at the end of at, at, at the end of the Megillah, there's actually a, a statement that says they were Kiamu Vikiblu the uh, the uh, the Torah again that um, that they that with all of this they they reenacted almost the, the Gemara says that they reenacted Mahamad Harsinai in a way that they reaccepted the Torah, um, which is an unbelievable uh, statement that at the time of uh, Purim they 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 accepted um, you know the Torah again. So faith fulfilled, I think, is uh, something that uh, I think it's a powerful. I hope a powerful. A title that we we should have uh, faith and Munah in God that God is there and trustworthy, um, even though necessarily He may not be um, so. When we say the word present or we feel Him all the time, um, you know, we could talk a little bit about you know the the guiding that's there. But um, I think that that that's why I I named it Faith Fulfilled. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Going back to what we said towards the beginning that Rabbi Berkowitz wrote a lot, so 19 books, many essays. And if, if we think about the, the different topics, he's writing about philosophy, he's writing about theology, he's writing about halakha, about Jewish law. How do his ideas in these areas intersect in his commentary or in the commentary that he put together on Megillah Tester? Yeah, so... so um... It's a great question. I, I think that um, they intersect because because throughout all his writings, they really they really intersect because that's that's how he wrote. Again, you know, he he had this broad knowledge of secular knowledge, philosophy, theology. Um, he was a rabbi that was very devoted to halacha. Um, and again, to repeat a little bit, but I really do feel that that his his the back the backdrop of this divine self limitation, um, his idea of divine self limitation has consequences um, to us in that we're God's partners in in creation. The same way that that we talked about the uh, the title of faith fulfilled um, through through the book, um, there are many examples uh, that I try to bring of this intersection. Um, on page 86, 
where we talked about the word Ra. I bring, I bring an excerpt to explain how Rabbi Berkowitz explains uh, the concept of evil and how evil could, 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 uh, could exist. Um, when, when we're dealing with the words v'nahafolchu, which is, which is uh, that everything, you know, turns upside down, everything was turned opposite. Um, I bring excerpts to, to discuss God's unconvincing presence in history, um, you know, and to discuss miracles um, and how could they exist, um, you know, because those are major, major topics that Rabbi Berkowitz explained. And then, and then um, his intersection with halacha um, on page 102 um, there's a quote that the, it, where it says Vayichtov Mordechai that Mordechai wrote down everything. I thought that that was a great time, um, an apropos time to to bring an excerpt on how how um, Rabbi Berkowitz really believed that um, the oral law really shouldn't have been written down. That today um, the oral law is more is 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 really something that should have been oral and not written. And he believes it's too stagnant. Um, he he actually says that many people uh, criticized, but he he call, he called it Karai Judaism in some of his articles, which is something that some people didn't want to you know agree with. But he really believed that that halacha in general. He defines it from the from the shoresh from the from the root of the word haloch. Haloch means to to walk to to go on its way, and he believes that halacha is the application of the Torah to life. So, so we're in a specific time in history and a specific situation. So the halakha has to be applied to, to those specific times and those specific situations. And he calls this process halakhic Judaism because it's halakha. Halakha is, is a way of going. It's a way of life. And a lot of times he criticizes, uh, you know, the rabbis through, through the time of uh, modern Judaism of the time of that we're we're here, he he says like he he, he one of the, his major uh, obstacles was was he tried to he tried to solve the Aguna crisis. Um, the, the Aguna is a chain of the woman you know that the where a man doesn't give a get to to the husband, um, and he and he has many quotes where he basically says um, and he writes this in his book Not in Heaven. Um, the practice of our time in the application of the marriage and divorce laws of the Torah often leads to grievous human, grievous human suffering and causes a great deal of Chil Hashem. It is ethically indefensible, but halacha is not responsible for it. Which means, in a way, in a, it's a passive-aggressive way of almost saying that he believes halacha is there to help us and to solve problems. And, to, uh, and that's his intersection, I think, of of all these philosophies, he, he, throughout all his books, he was a very open person and courageous, um, and ahead of his times. And a lot of the, and a lot of his works that he wrote. Um, just another, another, another snippet that 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 I, that I found. Um, there's a new book that that was just published by Urim that was republished: uh, Jewish Women in Time and Torah. Um, and it was just republished with with a with a um, with a uh, forward by Rachel Berkowitz, by Rabbi Berkowitz's granddaughter, um, but but uh, in in it and before I've read a lot of what she's written, she she actually went through some of some of his uh, I guess his archives and some of the things that that he had and correspondences that he had. Um, 
one of the main teachers, which I, which I might've mentioned before, I don't know if I did, what one of his main teachers or his main teacher in his life, I know I'm going up, you know, a little bit all over the place, but it's important to, for people to know where he came from. So again, he was, he, he, in, in Berlin, he, 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 uh, he was in the Hildesheimer Academy. Um, and his, his main teacher was the Sri Deish, Rabbi Yechiel Weinberg, um, who was really one of the greatest rabbis of our time in Germany at that time. Um, and he wrote this responsa called the Sri Deish. Um, actually, Rabbi Berkowitz was the one who saved these responsa. Um, when he left Germany, he took the responsa with him. And when he was in, when he was in England, every time that there was a bomb going off, um, he, he took the responsa with him down to the shelter so that the, uh, so that the, his, the responsa wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get lost. But going back to uh, the Sri Deish, um, he had a, he had a correspondence with the Sri Deish's teacher. Um, and this is a, it is an amazing sentence. I'll read it. And I think this, this also has to do with, with the halakha part, but it has to do with, with, uh, how bold he was. Um, he, this is a, in a car, private correspondence and he writes, and he's talking about the Aguna crisis. He says, and I'm going to translate, he says, I believe with complete faith that there is a solution to the, uh, to the, to the, to the Aguna crisis. Because I believe it's almost like a 14th principle of the Rambam. And he says, because I believe in the God of Israel and his Torah, I believe in the, the eternal strength of the halacha, to, to solve the problems to solve the problems that are passing the lives of the nation of Israel. That's an amazing statement, and I love it, you know, because, because the, the, the message of halacha, it's supposed to be there to to help us and not to harm us. Um, there are many other instances where he believes that the, the halacha is supposed to be for the ways of pleasantness and the paths of peace. Um, and uh, I believe, uh, again, I'm, I'm delving a little bit more on the side of halacha here, but I do believe that there's an intersection in all of his writings between theology, philosophy, uh, halacha. If we believe in the divine self-limitation, um, I do believe that the, the, that the divine self-limitation um, also plays into his role into how a rabbi or a dayan should should judge and um, be partners with God in creation because God somehow withdrew to give us the power to create and, all, and give us the power to um, to make life and halacha better for for the people. Looking a little bit more at the topic of, of halacha. You include in the book an essay from Rabbi Berkowitz about women reading the Megillah. First question on that, why did you decide to include this essay? And then the second part is, what can we learn? What's a key takeaway from this essay? So uh, the essay was, was, was brought, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a chapter in his book that we, that we talked about of, of uh, Jewish women in time and Torah. It's a, you know, pr- pretty much a, a straight excerpt from the book. I just put it as a, you know, made it a, a chapter. Um, he, he goes back to the sources, the main sources showing that Rashi, Rambam, I, I think the Rambam, the Ran all say that women, you can read, can read the Megillah and publicly, even, even for men. Um, and he delves, he delves into the other sources later on 
um, that disagree with disagree with that. And he believes that we should really go back to the original sources. Um, he believes also he, he makes a comparison to Kiddush on Friday night, um, showing that really, uh, really women have the same obligation as men do. Um, and he, and one of his, uh, outcomes that he leaves it as is really as a sign of respect, um, men and women should really alternate. Um, every Friday night and a man, the, the husband sh- one week should do it and the woman the next week should do it. Of course, this is not something that, uh, you know, that, that, that people that, uh, that many have taken upon themselves to, to, uh, the, 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 the Minog to, to accept, but, um, he, he wasn't afraid to, to voice his opinion and to, uh, to, to, to say what, you know, what, he, what he thought, um, he wrote in his book, in, in many books, in, in his book, In Crisis and Faith, he started talking about women in, in, in his book, Not in Heaven, which is, which is a translation of the Hebrew of, which was called Halakha, Tafkida, uh, the, the, you know, what, what's the, the purpose of, of, of Halakha. Um, so Not in Heaven is really an abridged version of that. He talks about uh, women's role in that, but really in Jewish Women in Time and Torah, he starts talking about women's role in society and how, um, today, um, today women, he, he goes through the difference between, uh, Torah taught and Torah to- tolerated. I think that's one of the main, main differences is that, uh, there are, there are certain ideals and, uh, certain societal norms that the women had in the time of the Torah. And he goes through that without, you know, really going, going through it in depth. He, he basically says that in the time of the Torah, women were, were not, uh, you know, uh, the main, the main characters, the main people. And, and, and as time has gone on in society today, he sees absolutely no reason that women, uh, today, women, women are her heads of, you know, CEOs, and there should be no reason that they should not have the same uh, capabilities, um, as, as men within, uh, he talks, he talks about that when it comes to in Mizuman, uh, many other, many other, uh, uh, examples as well. So, um, I think that, uh, that, that he talks about going back to the Aguna problem also, that's one of the main, the main, he sees no reason that, a that a woman, uh, should not, um, that, it, that the problem should not be solved. And again, he doesn't, again, he doesn't, he doesn't see that the problem was really stemming from, as he calls it, halacha, um, he, 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 he says outright that it, that unfortunately it's, uh, it's it's the uh, the rabbis uh, and 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 their their objections to to the to solving the problem um, that that's the cause of the cause of you know not solving the aguna the aguna problem. Um, I think that that's. I hope that answered the question. Yeah, okay. definitely. I appreciate that. Going back to the book as a whole. In your opinion, what is the main message or lesson that readers can take away from the commentary? So, I think that I think that the Rabbi Berkowitz's message is um, I'm trying to convey through through the through both books um, that that his his writings are so relevant and apropos to our time that he really wrote this you know 50, 60, 40, 30 years ago. Um, it was just his thirtieth uh, yurt site, and there was a convention, um, you know, to honor his thirtieth yurt site, um, which, uh, which, which I'm very honored that the, the you know, the uh, I was I was one of the speakers at the at the convention, and I I, t- I talked about the concept of tzimtzum, which I'm talking about now, the you know, the, of of uh, of 
the vine withdrawal. Um, but I think all of those lessons and all of these all of these ideas he talks about anti-Semitism. I mean, that, that's one of the ideas that we didn't we didn't talk about that that is also found in Megillah Esther with Haman and Amalek. It's so it's so apparent that today uh, in our in our time. It's it's one of the biggest problems that we face today. That uh, you know that that just because we're different, that's what it says. We're different. They you know the Amalek hated us. Haman hated us, and uh, history repeats itself. Uh, the Holocaust is a prime example of you know exactly anti-Semitism to to its core. So there's so many topics that I think that um, I wanted to bring to the forefront in a in a more I guess. Uh, in a format that one would be able to find his writings. Many, I don't know, you know, would go to his books, his 19 books. But I think if we, if what I try to do is bring it through a life cycle event like Pesach and Purim, um, that, that uh, hopefully, you know, people would be able to find it and it would be a little bit more appealing to people to say, oh, you know, this is something that Rabbi Berkowitz talks about. That's amazing. Maybe I'm going to go read his book, Not in Heaven. Maybe I'm going to go read his book, Faith After the Holocaust. That's really, you know, what what my goal was um, with all of this when I started. First, to just be more engrossed in this this unbelievable rabbi and his writings and, uh, you know, how much I admire his writings. That's hopefully coming forward. But, um, you know, the last 10 years I really spent uh, learning him. Um and just and just um, hopefully, you know, he, he was he he was underappreciated. I think also, I don't know how many, you know, he he didn't have the same. He was in Chicago and then he moved to Israel. You know, he wasn't a yeshiva university rabbi. Um, I think that if he he taught in YU, I think he would be much more well known. Um, there were other rabbis at YU that were were much more well known. Um, you know, one can compare him to uh, to Rabbi Soloveitchik, who probably there were probably the most comparable in many, many ways. But I think that Rabbi Berkowitz went a little bit more, um, he pushed the envelope a little bit more than, uh, than possibly uh, the latter. So, so I think that um, in general, I just wanted to show what a comprehensive philosophy he had, you know, through his excerpts in a more palatable way. Um, and hopefully, you know, that was achieved um, through, through, these, uh, through these books. Definitely. I'd, I'd say it was definitely achieved. We really appreciate all the work that you've done on this and hopefully more more to come in Thank the future. You. So with, with that, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time. I want to ask you the traditional closing New Books, New Books Network question. What are you working on so, next? Uh, so the next book that's actually coming out is uh, another book on Rabbi Berkowitz. Um, I hope that it will be out uh, next next year, within the next year, also through Urim Press. Um, we're in the beginning stages now, but the book is, the book, thank God is, is finished. It's in the same format as the others. And it's on Megillat Rut and, um, and the Torah reading for Shavuot. Um, so hopefully it will be the third part to the set first on Purim and then Pesach and then Shavuot. Um, it's, uh, hopefully, uh, the, the, uh, I can, I can, I guess, tell that the title is uh, faith and fortitude, <laughs> so it has another another faith in there. Um, we'll, we'll, it's another another time we could talk about the the fortitude part. Um, but uh, if, again, emunah is really something that uh, that he that he talks about all the time. 
Um, but I, but I really hope that the, the book will be out hopefully within the, in the, in the next year or two. I don't think that it will be out by this Shavuot, but, uh, I hope, uh, I hope by next Shavuot it will be, it will be, uh, out and people will hopefully enjoy it. And, um, and, and, and I think that, uh, just to, to, the, to, uh, I don't know if you have any other questions, yeah, any more questions or you have any, any, any other questions or. Yeah. Uh, nothing else that I've got. I just, just, anything so that you I just wanted to say that, uh, that, um, you know, just, just in general, how, how rewarding this experience has been, uh, that, that, uh, you know, I, I became close with uh, Rabbi Berkowitz's sons, um, Rabbi Dove Berkowitz is a rabbi in, in, in Israel and another son, uh, Abraham, uh, professor Avraham, uh, Berkowitz. And I really appreciate, uh, you know, all their, all their, uh, their help. They're wonderful people. Um, I really, uh, thanks to, uh, you know, T. Mauer at Oren Press, who was also a uh, great help, um, in all of this. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, I just feel very grateful that I was able to put out these two books and hopefully another one will come out and that the positive feedback that, that, uh, that, that, the books have have gotten and and the and the most rewarding thing is also that uh, you know how many people have come to me and said that the, you know I've introduced them to uh, Rabbi Berkowitz um, to to their to his thoughts and many didn't know who he was and uh, you know just just uh, I'm grateful I'm grateful for that to just uh, to to uh, to expose this uh, this amazing amazing rabbi. That's great. I'm I'm really looking forward to the next one. And this is this has been great. The book's great. And I really appreciate all the insight that you provided in the book and in this conversation. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, your questions. They were very insightful. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah. We have been talking to Dr. Reuven Mull, author of Faith Fulfilled, Megillat Esther and the Mariv Evening Service of Purim, with commentary from the writings of Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz, published by Urim in 2022. Happy reading, my friends. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.